<laughs> Good day, everybody. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. I am trying to see if everything is working the way it's supposed to be. So if anybody's uh, seeing this, if you'd give me a thumbs up, a hello something to let me know that <laughs> this is working. We've had some technical difficulties, as I think I mentioned last week. Anyway, we are talking through uh, the church. If you've been with us, we've been looking at what the scripture says about the early church, what the church did, and church leadership structures, that kind of thing. And today I want to interact with some of the questions I've been getting uh, through comments and some direct messages, uh, that kind of thing. And I'm still waiting for anybody, anybody. Okay, you're on. Thank you, Keith, for letting me know that. So uh, I got a question from Alan. And I'm going to pull this up where you can see it. This was a comment he made on YouTube. Uh, You all see that? Okay. Uh, He says, Doug, this teaching is transforming my view of what the church is supposed to be. Example, what I'm supposed to do. Thanks so much. I I just need to say, I I love that. Um, uh, that's, That's why we're doing this. To see what the scripture says the church is supposed to be. In contrast to what we've made it. And so I'm teaching this uh, Church History 1 course starting tonight at the New Covenant School of Theology. And as I have been preparing for that, I've been reading the, uh, quote, Church Fathers. It is amazing how quickly the zeal for power took over And the whole system of bishops, of one man having authority over the church, submitting to the elders, and differentiating between bishops and elders. It's it's amazing how quickly that began. In fact, I'll probably share some of it with you uh, maybe later this week. It's just, uh, we went off the rails quickly, at least maybe that's too strong a statement. We moved a dangerous direction as a church early on. So we'll come back to that. So I appreciate Alan's comment here that uh, that his view of what the church is to be is being transformed uh, as we look at the scripture and, and what what's he supposed to be doing? What are what are we supposed to be doing? Well, then he uh, he asked this question: When the elders, pastors, bishops, and I love how he put them all together because, as I've shown you, those three words all refer to the same. Uh, person, uh, when they age out, <laughs> should the church look for someone outside the assembly, i.e. seminary trained, or let the ruling elders train those with gifts from within the assembly? So obviously men are mortal and, uh, and elders are going to die or be gone for some other reason. So the question is, how do we replace them? Now, I don't know if Alan's with us this morning. I think he watches uh, later. He doesn't join us live. But I am curious, and Alan, you can comment on this. Uh, you you say here ruling elders, and I'm curious if that is, if you're making a distinction like the uh, Presbyterian churches do and the Reformed groups, they make a distinction between ruling elders and teaching elders. Are you familiar with that? Is that uh, is that new to anybody? Um, and I'm just curious here if Alan is making the same distinction 
I'm not sure I see it at least as clearly as the Presbyterians do. And we'll come back and look at that as well. That's uh, taken largely from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, so I don't know if, uh, and here's, I'll give you the, the preview of why I don't see this distinction as sharply as they do. The qualifications for elders include that they must all be able to teach. That's one of the qualifications. You, you shouldn't be an elder if you're not able to teach. One of the main functions of the elder is to teach and protect the teaching, guard the teaching, that kind of thing, as we will see when we look at those qualifications. So I don't know if Alan is making that distinction, and I'm not really uh, so much addressing him as just all of us. If you're from a, from a background that has that distinction, we'll talk about that and see if the Bible bears that out. All right, so back to the question at hand. What do we do? How do we replace elders? Uh, whose responsibility is it to train up elders? Should they be seminary trained? Should we go outside? Should we raise up elders from within? That kind of thing. So that raises an interesting question in my mind about the whole idea of seminary training. And I'm going to answer this question as a, as a founder and president and teacher of, of a seminary. Uh, I think we've given away the store. No, that's not the way to say it. I think the church has abdicated her responsibility to train leaders. I think elders have abdicated their responsibility to train future leaders. You're familiar with Paul, I'm sure, telling Timothy that uh, the things that Paul has taught Timothy, he should entrust uh, and train and teach other men so that this work continues. That's the model we see, starting with Jesus himself. Jesus chooses 12 men and he disciples them. Well, we've talked about this. What's a disciple? It's a, it's a learner. We, we often think follower, but following for the purpose of learning. Disciples have rabbis or teachers. That, that's how it was in antiquity. And so Jesus chose 12 and he said, follow me. And he taught them. And then he tells Peter, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, right? Take care of my flock. And then elders are appointed in the churches in the New Testament to teach and train uh, the people. And I think the design was that elders would continue to train men so that as the church grows in number and spreads out, and as the church grows generationally, they are perpetually training men to continue to teach and shepherd the flock. That's the way I see it in the New Testament. But we've made an institution out of it, and we have, have handed off training of elders to schools, according to our traditions. And then these institutions, these seminaries, these Bible colleges and so on, takes an ex a huge amount of money. And the campuses are beautiful and they're, they're big and they have endowments and trusts and, and all that. And you get scholarships and you go and then you're trained largely in theology, systematic theology. 
uh, I, I may have mentioned this before, I went to two uh, Presbyterian Reformed seminaries, and in both of them, I had uh, over a dozen courses in, uh, in systematic theology, the doctrine of this, the doctrine of that. Uh, I had, I think, three New Testament survey courses, a couple of Old Testament survey courses, and a class on the book of Romans, which was mostly a class on Reformed theology. So I was inundated with systematic theology, uh, immersed in it, and had survey courses for the New Testament. Again, those survey courses were largely outlines and uh, systematic theology courses. But that's what we do, right? Because the, the seminaries are attached to theological traditions and systems of theology that we want to perpetuate. They want to perpetuate. That's how it works. I, I Put it this way. I would love for churches to put the New Covenant School of Theology out of business. I would be thrilled if elders in churches across the world took it upon themselves to train future elders. One of the reasons that doesn't happen is because of this distinction we make, which I believe is an unbiblical one, of putting the senior pastor, lead pastor, head pastor, whatever word you want to use for him in some traditions, the bishop, that is the guy who is responsible for the teaching. He is the main teacher. He, he, we need him seminary trained. And in a lot of denominations, of course, there's, uh, there's a synod, or in our case, uh, the, the Alliance, Christian Mission Alliance, it was called a district. There were, there, there's a, you know, a president of the denomination, and then the denomination is split up into regions, districts, that kind of thing. And you have uh, leaders over those regions all the way down to the leader of the local church and there's accountability all the way up the, uh, the the path there and of course you want the local churches to adhere to all the doctrinal statements and everything from from the top down and so we've got to train these men to perpetuate our tradition our system whatever and they need to be held accountable and all of that so we we grab, uh, we're an institution, and we have to perpetually train train all of this, as opposed to a pretty organic teaching the basics of uh, of the scripture to our leaders. So let me just, it's, it's not really a commercial for NCST, New Covenant School of Theology, but a uh, just tell you what we're doing uh, and, and why we're doing it. So we started this 12, 13 years ago, and the goal has been to train church leaders because we saw that churches just weren't doing it. And we didn't, it was, it was well, it wasn't selfish, but it was, it was, there was self-interest in the sense that we had a vision for planting churches all over Colorado Springs. This is in the old model where I was the pastor for 25 years in, in the old model. Um, and we wanted to raise up leaders from our own church. And the elders at the time were all for it, but we had just taken on this huge building project and the elders decided 
we just, they didn't want to spend the time and the money involved in starting this ministry. Cross Crown Ministries and New Covenant School of Theology, I originally brought to the elders with this idea saying, I would like this to be a, uh, a ministry of our church. And they loved the idea, agreed to partner with it, but didn't want to take on the responsibility. But they gave me freedom to do it. So I started it on the side. Uh, wasn't ideal. I, 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 in hindsight, um, well, anyway, I, I, I did wish it would be a, a ministry of the church, but alas, it, it didn't work. But they gave me full support and uh, partnered all the way through. So the goal was to raise up leaders for our own church to be the elders of the churches that we would plant throughout Colorado Springs. And so that's how it started. Uh, When I resigned from that church over a year ago, um, the elders didn't want to partner uh, with us anymore. Uh, And so that's, we went online and, and taking that direction. So what are we trying to do here with NTST? Well, we're trying to do what I believe local churches ought to be doing. But the way the system is, you've got your senior leader, and then most of the other elders are what we call lay elders, right? I don't know if you use that term, but you're probably familiar with the concept. They have full-time jobs, they have families, they have all the stuff going on, and then they've got business meetings, long business meetings for the church. <laughs> if, you're, if you're an elder, if you've ever been an elder, you know how those can just uh, you think, why? Why are we wasting so much time on this and not doing the things the Bible calls us to? But we have we have elders responsible for a lot of things, and they have other, you know, they've got their jobs and such, so um, they don't have time, they think, to train up leaders. Plus, again, the institutionalization of all this is we have said, uh, said maybe too strong, it's basically... Well, some churches actually say this. Others maybe not don't say it, but it, it's it's just the it's the tradition, it's the models where we're at. We need seminary trained leaders because to understand the Bible needs training, formal training, and theology is complex. Theology we have made it so complex and so um, beyond what the scripture reveals. Uh, and I, I use this illustration all the time. Romans, in, in your Bible, Romans is what? Five, seven pages? And most commentaries on Romans are four, five, six, seven hundred pages. At least the, the, the best ones, the ones that are most prominent. Why does it take four or five hundred pages to explain a five-page letter written by the apostle. Well, it's because we don't really study the Bible, we study theology. And we want our leaders trained in theology, systematic theology. Right? So here what we do at New Covenant School of Theology, we go through the Bible. We have uh, a class on uh, Romans and we go through verse by verse through Romans. Uh, we go through almost every book of the New Testament verse by verse. I taught uh, earlier this year I taught the Gospel and Epistles of John. We studied, we, we talked about every verse in the Gospel of John and 1 John. Because I want our students to know the Bible, not systematic theology. 
we have a handful of courses on systematic theology to talk about the triune nature of God and the deity of Christ and some of those things. But most of our courses are walking through the text of Scripture because our philosophy is if you are going to be a leader in the church, if you're going to be an elder, you need to know God's word. You don't need to know the writings of man. I tell our students all the time, if you spend more time studying the writings of men compared to how much time you study the words of God, something's wrong. But it's what we do. It's what seminaries do. Those of you who have been to seminary, you know this. You spend way more time. I would venture in most seminaries, it's 90% of your study is of books of men rather than the word of God, because we don't really believe that we can understand God's word. We need the writings of men. And the Reformed tradition uh, perpetuates this. The church fathers, how many times have you heard? Don't think that you've come up with anything new. If it's not already been said, you're arrogant. Well, we're not after something new, but we have the original documents. Well, not the autographs. You know what I mean? We have the word of God. We don't need the writings of men to understand the word of God. Oh, but who do you think you are? You're so arrogant to think that you can understand God's word without church tradition, without church history, all these great gifts God has given the church over the years. So those poor people in the first century, second century, third century, whenever you, know, whenever you want to start your timeline, those poor people, the people who heard from Paul, poor guys, uh, if, if, if only they had Grudem, then they could have really understood the truth, right? If only they had Burkhoff, if only they had Calvin, then the first century Christians could have really been educated. But instead, I, I, I'm being a little bit facetious here, right? But the point is, what are we saying when we say we need to study the words of, of men and spend years of our lives studying the words of men? I, I have students uh, all the time that who come. So one, one example, uh, this young man came to Christ a few years ago, really got serious about knowing the word and somewhere along the line came across reformed theologians and just lapped it up. This was true of me 30 years ago as well, just lapped it up. And, you know, reformed theology, for instance, just logically is so compelling because it's all based on a a rational system, if you buy the first premises, then then the whole thing of Reformed theology makes perfect sense. And it for a, a studious, thoughtful, logical mind, it it's just wonderful. These people are serious. I remember the first time I heard R.C. Sproul teach on the radio. I thought, oh man, here's a guy who is serious about truth. And I loved it. And I dove in headfirst to Reformed theology. So that's what happened. This young man did that, and he enrolled at NCST. And uh, when we started studying these New Testament books, I told the students, you are not allowed to read commentaries. And when I gave them assignments, and he would he tech, he would message me and say, wait, you're telling me I can't use commentaries to study, to, to write my papers, to do the work? No, you can't. You have to stick to the scripture. And he couldn't believe it. And I've gotten that response many times over the years. What's the book reading list for this course? The Bible. Wait, we're, 
We're studying Hebrews. Mm-hmm. What commentaries? No commentaries, just the Bible. Well, how am I supposed to understand it? Uh, read it. <laughs> Study it. I will teach you. And it, it just shocks them because we have this self-perpetuating system of the institutions where you need the commentaries, the writings of men to be trained in the Bible. You can't know the Bible. That's, the, that's what's implied. The average person can't understand the Bible, and we've made it so complex. What New Covenant School of Theology does, I think almost more than anything else, is try to teach our students, you are capable of understanding the Scripture. God did not write a book and give it to us saying, now, you can't understand this, and you need to wait 15 year, 1,500 years to the Reformation so Reformed theologians can teach you what it really means. That's not what happened. No, it, it's written in Koine Greek, common Greek. That's what we call it. It's for the common man. You can understand the scriptures. Elders can understand the scriptures. And really what we're doing in NCST is trying to convince people they don't need the writings of men. Trust the word of God. You can learn it. You can understand it. One of the reasons we don't understand it is because we spend so much time reading the, the conflicting wor- works of men this system of theology, that system of theology, that tradition, this tradition, and it just makes us think, oh, well, I can't ever understand this, instead of saying, no, let's look at the Bible. That's what we do at, at our school. So, Alan, I think, um, I think I'm about out of time. <laughs> I'll have to come back and answer your question directly tomorrow. I do see some comments here I want to, uh, to get to. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just kind of went off there, but that's how it goes. Dale says, Doug, I'm considering applying to audit NCST class, but couldn't find the hours it meets. I know it's three hours. Yeah, so it's Monday and Tuesdays starting at 5.30 Mountain Time. That's that's here in Colorado. So uh, you'll have to see what time that is on, on your end, whatever time is on. So 5.30 to 8.30 Mountain Time, Monday and Tuesday nights. Keith says, hey, Keith. Keith Bosky, good to uh, hear from you. I agree we started Sovereign Grace Academy for the purpose of raising up and training leaders from within. Yeah, churches need to be doing that. And uh, NCST, our school, can help you. And I'll come back and talk more about this tomorrow since I didn't actually address Alan's question. But long term, I would love to see our school put out of business, so to speak. Grady says, I think all Christians would benefit more studying his- church history. I'm assuming that's what you mean. And the ancient cultures and customs then commentaries, if you don't get the culture, you don't get the Bible. Uh, yeah, we we should learn. We should read. History is great. Obviously, you have to read the works of men for that. Mike says, Grudem comes up with new things that are wrong. Probably all theologians do. Grady says, just look at the, all the wedding and marriage references in the Bible, yet how many really understand the steps, meanings, customs of Hebrew Jewish engagement and wedding. Yeah, and that's helpful to understand even some of the things it says about Christ and the church. Dale says, uh, writing my prayer question on timing. Like, uh, yep, you got it. You got it. Uh, Grady says, amen, you nailed this one, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that. So anyway, I know I kind of went off on the rant there, but let's keep talking about this because I think it's important. I think if the church is going to get back to what it's supposed to be, we have to detach ourselves from the institution. And that's it's an uphill battle. We're swimming against the stream here, but... It can be done and it'll be good. So have a great day in the Lord. Uh, We'll come back tomorrow and continue this discussion. And Alan, I will uh, answer your question more directly 
tomorrow. And then I've got a couple other questions from uh, some other folks that I want to get to as well. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.